Why do we have so many troubled and confused young people today? This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. It was once observed by a very famous individual that young men have strong passions, tend to gratify them indiscriminately, of the bodily desires, and, and it goes on to talk about them being changeable and fickle in their desires, can be hot-tempered, quick-tempered, have to give way to their anger. Are we talking about something written recently? Actually, no. Aristotle observed that thousands of years ago. A lot about human nature has gone unchanged over the centuries. People are still people. We still are the creatures that we are instinctively. We have our bad behaviors. We sometimes even have our our good behaviors. So there's always been the understanding that in raising children, think about this for a moment. My wife points it out quite well. Children are born needy at birth. They need everything because they can't do anything. And they stay needy for many, many years. And the longer we leave our children needy, the more troublesome it can become. These things have nothing to do with the time and age in which we live. It's just our human nature. But there are some things happening today that didn't happen 10, 15, 20, 40, 50, 100 years ago. We see things today that are blatantly different, dangerously different, and of deep concern. I know that all of us, myself included, all of us, all of us can be misbehaviors in our own way, some worse than others, it seems. A lot of how we react as we get older depends on how our parents raised us. And I think that's where I'm beginning to really discern some of the great differences in our world today. Many parents are no longer raising their children. That started not when I was coming up so much. I was raised, started school in the 50s and college, you know, went through elementary and high school stuff in the 60s and then college in the 70s, married in the 70s, worked my way to where I'm at today. And and I look back over time and there were a lot of things that we did probably shouldn't have done but a lot of things we never would have even considered doing a lot of parents today i was blessed because i i came out of a two-parent household increasingly becoming the minority today a mother that did not have to work outside of the home so i never had to come home with a key to the house We had friends we spent time with. We weren't living on devices. If you call TV a device, looking back now, I didn't watch all that much TV by comparison to the world we have today. Look at some of the things that have happened in a period of just less than a generation. And I'm going to share some thoughts 
that I think are important. Oh, by the way, before I forget, this week's programs will be changing a little bit tomorrow because of the fact that it is Holy Week, and I have some things that I want to share. I'm going to probably challenge some of your thinking tomorrow. You may, I think you'll enjoy it. It will challenge some of your preconceived notions, but I think you'll walk away inspired and your faith encouraged. But today I just want to focus on young people because I think that they've been shuffled off to the side during this pandemic season. When I was growing up, I lived in a first in in a bigger city area near New York City and then my high school years were spent in a small town south of Lake Ontario. And when I mean a small town, you could throw, as that song once said, you could throw a rock from end to end. Just a small main street, handful of small downtown, one shopping center. It's grown a little bit in terms of retail. And it was a, an area where a lot of people were, you know, outdoorsmen because it is a rural area. And, and during the hunting season, it was not uncommon for high school students to have their rifles with them. I can remember being in a senior high school class and somebody I knew had just bought a new Bowie knife and had it strapped to his leg and everybody got to pass it around because it was kind of a cool knife. We don't do those kind of things 50 years later anymore. Because now we worry about violence in schools that didn't exist when I came along. You didn't think about having weapons in a school. I mean, today, a plastic knife to, you know, to eat food is considered a weapon. It can get you thrown out of school, banished, expelled, arrested by the police if you have an aspirin or a plastic knife somewhere in your backpack and we never we never had backpacks what is a backpack all these things that have come along in our educational world a lot of them don't impress me all that much because the results are not there true academics have dropped like a rock over the past 50 years there's no doubt about that Common sense has dropped like a rock in the past 50 years. Worship of the planet has been increased by brainwashing in public schools. Climate change. And all these kids have got their iPhones or Androids. And they live their life in their phone. But I want to go back even before the phone and the damage it has caused. As I was saying back in my time, the idea of somebody having a rifle or a weapon on the campus was not a big deal. Nobody really thought about it. A lot of schools even had uh, gun training in some parts of the country where you did bring your weapon to school to fire it, to learn how to use it safely. I don't think you're going to see that anymore today. The education class will guarantee that's not going to happen. Period. 
All of us may remember an event that changed the way we looked at everything in an instant. It was back in the month of April in 1999. Looking forward to the year 2000, something happened that changed everything on a dime. Columbine High School in Colorado on April 20th, 1999. 12th grade students, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold murdered 12 of their fellow students and one teacher. The pair currently committed suicide at the very end. And we didn't understand how could this happen? How can high school students do something like that, bring weapons to school and kill other students. Ever since that time, our world has been changed. We now have to worry about guns in schools, dying in schools. And over the years, there have been copycat killings in public schools. I don't think any of us were even slightly prepared for that kind of a news story coming to our TV sets and into our public conversation. How could this happen? You can go online, and a lot of it will be a waste of time. And I'll explain what I mean why it will be a waste of time. They try to understand the psychology of what happened at Columbine. But you got to remember by 1999, most psychology was turning into pop culture, and a lot of it, honestly, I can't trust. And I don't think you should, too. Yes, CNN has got their fast facts. And you look at everything, and they try to blame everything on the gun and the weapon and some kind of, you know, just bullying or, or what have you. The way the media covered it, they were unprepared as well. And also remember by the 1990s, this is during the time that we had Bill Clinton as president. Our morals were just rotting before our very eyes on the television. I can't believe how much farther we were able to descend in the past uh, two decades. But we've managed to do that. We had been on this steady path probably since the 1960s that we would rip away certain fundamentals of our society certain boundaries like I say even Aristotle could recognize that you know kids have problems being kids it's a normal thing that's why parenting is so important that's why community and churches are so important in the lives of our children and our families overall. But we started getting away from many of the norms and challenging them. And over the 1990s, we drifted away from those things that held us together, that the, tie, the ties that bound us together. We let them, we let them go. We also had some new technology coming along. 
Let me kind of pause here for just a second. Let me give a little background here, and I want to go back in time, all the way back literally 49 years ago, a little over 49 years ago. 1972, I was a high school senior, and I was working already part-time in the afternoon at a local radio station. Top 40, I might add, too. And during the summer of 1972, besides my on-air duties, I always had this interest in electronics, and there were a lot of things I could, I could read schematics back in those days. I could fix a lot of stuff. And I was introduced to a guy by the name of Tony Bellotta. And he was the son of the founder of a company called Bellotta Enterprises in a small town in upstate New York. And they had the concession for a lot of uh, jukeboxes and and early, uh, what do you call it, arcade games, pinball machines and what have you. But a lot of their stuff was predominantly Wurlitzer jukeboxes. And I made extra money in the summer of 1972, saving up to go to electronics school, believe it or not, fixing Wurlitzer jukeboxes, if you can imagine that. And one day I was out there in the afternoon. I was not on the air. I had finished up my air shift, and I'm I'm out there at their at their place. And and Tony says, you know, Bob, you gotta see this. This is the neatest thing you've ever seen. So we uncrated this tabletop game. We had never seen anything like this before. At least I hadn't. It was called Pong. Ever heard of Pong? It was released in 1972. It was a table tennis theme arcade video game featuring simple two-dimensional graphics. And it was done by Atari. We heard of those folks later as the years moved on. And there we have this new thing called a video game. I can remember after uh, Tony and I unpacked it, got everything set up and plugged it in and and the screen came alive and we're kind of reading the the setup instructions so we had a way to not have to worry about putting money into the thing and this was like the tabletop version you could sit at and we started playing that thing just to see how it would work and i don't know how much time went by but it was getting dark outside and i realized that i had just well, so much for fixing two Wurlitzer jukeboxes that needed to get out in the next day or so. We were so busy playing this simple black and white video game. I mean, it completely enthralled us. Tony was just a few years older than I was, so we were I mean, I was eight, you know, pushing 18 and and he was probably like 23. And we just spent a whole lot of time did that several times, wasting a lot of time playing that game. Now, I never played much of anything beyond that. When I went on to electronic school later, I was too busy working and in school and at home. I never went out anywhere, so I never never saw a bunch of arcade games like that. just wasn't in my time frame. And over the years when I got married and never had time for that either. And so I didn't pay a whole lot of attention 
didn't pay much attention at all to this quiet growth of video games. And we're talking the 1970s. In the 1980s, maybe 10 years later, I, I came across a new game. I just happened to see it at a little restaurant place that had a couple of video-type games there, and I never had really... I didn't... This is now color. It's come a long way since Pong. And I'm looking at this thing, and it's called uh, Donkey Kong. Remember that game? And I, I probably wasted more quarters in that thing than I would be happy to admit. But then again, you know... We don't have it at home, so it's just those rare times you were out that I could see it and play with it. The video game industry kept growing. And eventually, devices that could connect to your television set at home. Honestly, we we never had those in our home. Um, Didn't see a need for it. So once again, for me personally at the time, in the 80s and now heading toward the 1990s, I really didn't pay a whole lot of attention to video games. It just wasn't in my world. By the 1980s, I had been working first for a transmitter manufacturer. And like I say, video games were just not a part of our life, not even on our radar screen. It was during the 1980s, more than any other time in my life, that I took a very rapid interest in computers. Now, for me personally, computers had wonderful attributes. Word processing, most important for me personally. I go back to the DOS days and even early Microsoft programs, and one of my favorites was WordPerfect. Used it for ages on early, early ancient DOS machines the first IBM-type machines. I never thought much about games on computers. I saw some little games. I just never played with them. The only game that ever eventually caught my interest came when Windows came along, Windows 3.1, and that was Solitaire. And so... I really didn't get much into video games then. What I was not paying attention to, because I had no need to, was the growth of video games, even in a DOS format, that using color graphics were incredibly, well, captivating is the only word that comes to mind. And in the 1990s, as we are beginning to grow a thing called the Internet, computers are finding their way into people's homes, particularly people who are financially well-off. You know, even in the mid-1990s, a lot of houses didn't have computers. There was nobody online. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have everybody doing email. I felt kind of rare having a computer at home and a, a dial-up Internet for doing this newfangled thing called email. Most of my neighbors didn't. But what I never had seen was the incredible growth of video games. And by the latter part of the 1990s, they were becoming extremely addictive 
And the difference was, let me just see if I can explain this in simple words, and I hope you you get this concept. Just grasp it. Hold on to it. Back in the days of Pong, and actually it's rather simple, when you go back to some of the early video games, you didn't get so much inside of the game that the world around you totally disappeared. You could come in and out of reality quite quite rapidly. Even with some of the video games that I saw that were very cartoonish in the 1980s, yeah, you could get focused on it, but you didn't you didn't jump into the world. You weren't all of a sudden in an alternative reality. You're simply playing a game. What had happened in the 1990s as as technology grew, the games became more and more realistic. And all of a sudden for many impressionable people, people that may have other issues going on in their life, the game became an alternate reality. That's one of the greatest dangers that ever occurred in any kind of video game. And so let's get back to what happened at Columbine. There's several things, and I learned this when I first got into emergency management a number of years ago, doing a little bit of study on, you know, school shootings were always a concern, a threat we had to plan for, try to train schools to actually take seriously. Another story, I'll tell you that in a little bit. Taking the the threat serious, something a lot of people didn't want to do. We began to study the characteristics of those that are involved in school shootings in general. Now, this is not a 100% all-the-time checklist, but it is a most-of-the-time, a predominance that certain characteristics will be found. And if you look at all the school shootings... I've paid attention to a lot of them, especially through like Parkwood in Florida and from Columbine. There's several things that that ring true, that all the gun control legislation you can envision, they're not attacking the real problem. They're not even getting close. In Columbine, these were not poor, misguided uh, kids from a bad neighborhood that were used to shooting people uh, like to rob a store or something. This is not their, they, they came out of decent, relatively upscale neighborhoods. They had access to the newest and latest technology. They were kind of loners in their own right. And there are a couple of other things that a lot of the news media simply wants you to ignore and never noticed. First, as I mentioned before, they came out of decent, decent neighborhoods. Uh, They weren't lacking in terms of things or stuff. They had the latest and greatest in terms of computers. And we do know that like many other people, they, they were deeply into many of the new video games that were very engrossing at that time. We also know the two 
two young people had other issues. They seemed to be outcasts from others. They, they had a low self-esteem. In some of the reading that I've, I've done about many of those types that get involved in school shootings, oftentimes the father is gone or he is so disengaged because of the work and their careers that they just let the children, in essence, raise themselves. And even starting back then, you start allowing these video games to become kind of a babysitter. If you look at other school shootings, many of those same traits repeat themselves. Family issues, esteem issues, warning signs that were always there, but nobody ever had time to notice. We know that growing up is not easy. Growing up with parents that are so engaged in everything but their children doesn't help. And substituting substituting too much screen time is also extremely dangerous. This past year, because of the pandemic, many students had to do their school online. And I know a lot of kids that wanted to do their school online so they could just stay home and not have to go to school. Number one, that's not good. Number one, it's not good at all for any kind of socialing to to be buried and hiding in a house and your parents just working and you're just online, just totally into the ether, so to speak. That's how things like a Columbine occur. Warning signs missed, parents too busy, even sometimes a brokenness in the home. All these things contribute to the esteem of children. Listen, when I was growing up, my parents were not necessarily uh, helicoptering over me, and that's, you've heard the term helicopter parent. That's, that's equally as dangerous when you're like a helicopter overly protecting your children from every little thing in the world. Well, then your children to be thoroughly unprepared for anything in this world. That's the extreme no-no in the other direction. And then allowing video games, electronics, and Netflix to be, well, it keeps them out of my hair so I can get other things done. You know, I have such a busy job and career. We've lost sight of things that are important. The Bible teaches that we reap what we sow. And for 40 years, we've been reaping our careers at the expense of our children. We've created the entire daycare industry where other people raise our kids, and then when they get old enough, the school takes care of our kids and are bankrupt intellectually, morally, spiritually, and otherwise school system, the schools of the woke are causing literally brain damage, in my opinion, to many of our young people. They try to tear down the family structure and replace it with groupthink. We've lost the idea of being an individual, and many, like the Columbine shooter or Parkwood or others that you've read about, Video, being alone, 
Nobody's seeing the warning signs. They're always the common denominator. Maybe it's time that we do our part as parents and maybe grandparents in helping to engage with our children. Maybe that career, maybe that job promotion, maybe that bigger house or newer car is not not quite as important as the life to which you were entrusted. A child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away And he was talking for I knew it And as he grew, he'd say I'm gonna be like you, Dad You know I'm gonna be like you And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the phone When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when But we'll get together then You know we'll have a good time then My son turned ten just the other day He said, thanks for the ball, Dad, come on, let's play Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today I got a lot to do, he said, that's okay And then he walked away, but his smile never did It said, I'm gonna be like him, yeah You know I'm gonna be like him And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon the Little boy blue and the man on the you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when But we'll get together then You know we'll have a good time then Well, he came from college just the other day So much like a man I just had to say Son, I'm proud of you, can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys See you later, can I have them, please? And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the moon When you're coming home, son, I don't know when But we'll get together then, Dad You know we'll have a good time then Since retired, my son's moved away I called him up just the other day I said I'd like to see you if you don't mind He said I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids are the flu But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad It's been sure nice talking to you And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me He'd grown up just like me My boy was just like me And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the moon When you're coming home, son, I don't know when But we'll get together then And we're gonna have a good time then
That song came out in the 1970s by Harry Chapin, Cats in the Cradle. Remember it well. And I can remember when I heard it as a young radio announcer, it haunted me then to think how families were so busy chasing the almighty dollar that that children were just shoved off to the side as an inconvenience. And how many parents even then in the 1970s, 80s, even before my time, how many had regrets as they got older and they no longer have a relationship with their children at all? By the way, it does work both ways. Some children decide even after all the good things their parents have done, they move on. These problems have been more amplified these past 25 or 30 years, increasingly, year in and year out. More desire for more things. Less time for God, less time for family. Needing more time to make into quality time the greatest fraud ever perpetrated into the life of a family, quality time. They need all your time. We're getting ready to take a break here. And I just wanted to bring this to your attention because the pandemic has made it even worse, far worse, and we're gonna be paying for that a huge price in the not too distant future. Kids forced to learn online, Zoom classes, isolation, fear the isolation and fear are troubling to me we take where we are with our schools with our lack of faith our lack of trust in God we are setting ourselves up for a huge social disaster this is truth to ponder with Bob Bierman. A mistake or an ancient mystery hidden in the Hebrew scriptures? Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn. Your Jewish connection bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift that you're going to get and love in a moment. Now, Isaiah 53 in the Hebrew scriptures contains the most amazing prophecy and description of Messiah who would suffer and die for our sins. But hidden inside the prophecy is something strange, a mistake or an ancient mystery. You won't read it in English because the translators couldn't quite handle it. Verse 9 says, And with a rich man in his death. But what it really says in Hebrew is Be'et Asher B'motav, which literally means with a rich man in his deaths. In his deaths. Doesn't make sense in English or Hebrew. It's an ancient mystery. How can one man die many deaths? And how can many deaths be linked to one man? Well, only one can answer it because Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus alone of all men did not die his death. He died his deaths. When he died on the cross, it was not one death, but many. He died all deaths. He died for you and for me. You see, he's the prince of life. So he doesn't have his own death, but he took your death and my death as his own. Therefore, it's written in his deaths. And in 2 Corinthians, it says, one died for all. Therefore, all died. He died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. You see, Isaiah 53 is not just a prophecy about his death. It's about your death. In his deaths, one of those deaths in his death is the death of your old life. 
You died with him and I died with him so that you and I would be completely free from the old to live no longer under sin or selfishness, but to live to God and his righteousness. You want proof that you died? Your old life is no more and you're free and you're a new person? It's right there in Isaiah 53 in a Hebrew mystery in his deaths. Now, the free gift for you from the sands of the Judean wilderness to the wings of the cherubim to the writings of the rabbis to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. The awesome long hidden mystery is now revealed. The mystery of the temple doors. You'll love it. And sapphires guaranteed to bless your socks off. How do you get all these free gifts? Just remember Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua, and dial it. That's it. Call 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's it. Call now 1-800-YESHUA-1. And I invite you to minister with me, bringing salvation to God's chosen people, Israel, and the unreached people of five continents with over a billion people. Just call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct, The Nice Jewish Boy, Box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey, 07644. That's 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Until next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying, Shalom Alechem, peace be to you, my friend in Messiah, Sar Haim, the Prince of Life. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. I just felt it was so important to take a little time to remind ourselves of some of the things that are important. And that's why I talked about our young people today. Sure, young people like me when I was a young person 50, 60 years ago, I was probably a handful. I'm sure a lot of us were. And we have been over time. But what I'm seeing today is something that I never thought I would see in my lifetime. I go back to the norms of my childhood, and and I knew the neighbors when I was growing up. I knew the mothers. I knew my neighborhood. Today, that's less and less. We don't know. I want to remind you, this is the program Truth to Ponder. I'm your host, Bob Bierman. This, by the way, is Holy Week, a very special time for Christians, and I'm going to talk in just a little bit about something that crossed my mind earlier today, and I want to share. I want to thank those that make this program possible each and every day, Monday through Friday, plus a weekend edition for many. I want to thank those that have supported the program financially. We'd love to see it expand. I mentioned yesterday I'm praying about additional hours on shortwave, maybe from WRMI, maybe some other station. Been trying to track down a couple and I'm not even getting some some calls back. Even some online places, maybe you have some ideas, share them. Go to the website truth2ponder.com, truth2ponder.com. Let me know what your thoughts are. Regular mailing address is 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263 in Sky Valley, Georgia. That 263, by the way, is kind of our secure P.O. box, number 263 in Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. Love to hear from you. 
We talked in the first part of the program today about some of the challenges facing our young people. You couple our technology, you couple our social media, you couple these electronic devices that rule them. And I was amazed. I was looking online the other day, trying to get some information about how these devices and games impact and affect our young people. Now, I'm, I'm certain, as with anything, there can be some good things. Hand-to-eye coordination being one of them. Maybe might even read something for a change. But when they become an alternate universe, that becomes the danger. And for too many, it is an alternate universe. They can't, they can't dig up any social skills when they're with each other. I've seen kids literally sitting around not talking to each other and communicating with each other through their phones and typing with their thumbs. We've lost interpersonal communication skills. And because of the pandemic, because of Zoom classrooms... Because of many schools not even wanting to go back to in-person learning, the damage is going to be done for years to come, and maybe in some cases decades, for many of our young people. Be prepared. We'll probably address that on another program more in depth. I'm going to try to see if I can find somebody to really help us wade through that. This program is all about sharing truth things that are truly important and during this holy week we need to remember what it's all about for many people easter is just a time off from work and they may travel and do some visiting and what have you many families don't even bother to go to church anymore now with the pandemic you've got a great excuse i can remember a year ago wondering what would it be like when, when Easter finally came around? I believe it was the 12th of April last year. And I wondered, as we're facing this pandemic, would our churches be open? Well, most were closed. We finally have given some people the excuse they've been seeking in not going to church. And, and that's a sad commentary. In some cases, as I said yesterday, and I've said it last week, and I'll say it again, there are some churches I hope this does close them for good because they're doing no good for the kingdom of God. They've adopted a satanic, woke, worship the earth gospel of social justice, and Jesus is something that they can order around or redefine on their own terms. St. Paul says those that... Even if an angel comes to you preaching a different gospel, they are accursed. And those churches preaching that other gospel are accursed. Come out from among them and do not touch the unclean thing. This Holy Week, and tomorrow I'm going to share something that many of you probably never heard. Some of you might have. You know, what really may have happened during this week that led Jesus to the cross how the Passover was celebrated and his resurrection. We're going to talk all about that a little bit tomorrow and Thursday and Friday. I've got some special programs lined up. I really hope that you can make the time 
to hear. Friday, a lot of a lot of sacred music that I think will help you and encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ and to really understand what Good Friday is all about. One of the things that makes this week special is how Jesus, and I mentioned this yesterday, if you look back at this past Sunday, Palm Sunday, Jesus riding into Jerusalem and everybody giving him praise, glory, and honor, thinking that he was going to be a an earthly leader to overthrow the stranglehold of Rome. It's like many people are misplacing their faith. They're trying to find political leaders to to fix the problems of this world, the school shootings, and and all everybody seeking the wisdom of men to, to solve the things that only a change of the heart can ever can ever resolve. We're looking for our solutions in all the wrong places, and too many Christians spend more time engaged in politics than they do engaged in prayer, in scripture, in learning what God's plan really is for our lives and our families. We are living in a time of accelerated evil. We are living in a time where there's going to be increasing tribulation and persecution of Christians. You can see it coming. I don't know if it's the great tribulation. I'm not going to dare say yay or nay. But regardless, we need to be prepared for the times that are ahead. This past year, Look at how many people couldn't go to church because the government said you can't go. What are you going to do this year and next year if the government decides maybe your church has too much hate speech because you preach that Bible? What are you going to do then? What is your plan going forward? It's one of the things we'll be talking about probably getting into next week after we get past Easter. Right now, I want to focus on this particular week in history, Jesus in Jerusalem. And and during the first days in Jerusalem, preparing for the Passover, celebration of the Passover. Jesus, well, the disciples didn't understand it at the time, but Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand that he had to die. They didn't understand that he had to rise again. They never understood things when Jesus would say, I must tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. They didn't understand it. The Son of Man must be lifted up. They didn't understand it. But they did know, because of their background, that they were going to be celebrating the Passover. Those of the children of Israel in Egypt who had the blood of the lamb on the lentil of the door, they call it the mantle on the top that could be seen, they escaped death. They were given life. Jesus is the lamb of God. And that's what we celebrate this week. He is our Passover. He is the Lamb of God. The world was groping in darkness. The world 
was lost in its sin. The guilt of man demanded a sacrifice, and God provided the lamb. Broken and spilled out, this lamb freely
As I look at the world today, there's no doubt we truly do need a Savior. We need we need the Lamb of God. I sometimes wonder how God's judgment has been so delayed upon this nation that has been so blessed for so many years. The United States has been blessed. Whether we want to admit it or not, even even those that have it difficult are more blessed than many others in the world. For over 200 years, we've had freedom of religion. We've had freedom of association. We've had a higher standard of living than most other places on the face of the earth. But what have we done with all that we've been given over these years? There's the problem. To whom much is given, the Bible teaches, much is required. We've been given a great gift, and we've squandered it. We've ignored it. We've we've given it a treatment like it's cheap and tawdry and common. I look at I look at Europe today, for example. I'm always told how great Europe is supposed to be. And you know, because they've got no, well, they got universal health care. They got a bunch of other stuff. I'm not getting into the politics. I want to get into the spiritual side of Europe for a moment. Europe had so much for so long, but gave it up as well. They've given it up too. People in Germany don't go to church like they once did. France, forget it. Italy, it's way down. England, yeah, Church of England. Most people in England and Europe do not go to church. They don't even pretend to go to church on Easter and Christmas for the most part. That's about all we seem to do in the United States. Our numbers have been dwindling for decades now, like I said before. In some cases, I'm glad. As churches walked away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I know some of you may belong to the Episcopal Church or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America or one of the groups of the Methodist Church and and maybe some of the Presbyterians and the United Church of Christ where they have gone into worshiping the earth because, see, God is more of a concept now. And we need to, we need to take care of this planet it's become our primary focus. A number of churches, in order to keep their doors open in the past 10 years, have changed the format of their service to be, quote, relevant. And all of a sudden, pastors and sermons are replaced by pep talks and rock concerts and light shows. We have cheapened our faith. Now we're coming into a very, well, precarious time is the best way to put it. We are coming into a very difficult time because of the pandemic, because of our politics, because of our turning our back on God. We are getting ready to walk into a time of great difficulty. I can remember saying this back in 2015. 
that we're going to have a time of judgment. And then we get these times like we had opportunity to do something positive and we didn't do it. We're given a little bit of a respite and then we get lazy again. We need to be encouraging one another in the faith. Now, we need to be taking control of our families now. There are a lot of temptations out there. There are going to be a lot of young people that are going to be very damaged for a while because of what happened with the school closures and the Zoom learning and the fear and the face mask, all of it. It's going to come back to hurt us and haunt us for quite a while. Are you ready to face that? Tomorrow, I'm going to spend some time on the program giving you a look at this particular week in history. From the time Jesus arrived on Palm Sunday, the first day of, of, of the week, preparing for the Passover, celebrating the Passover, Jesus' praying of Gethsemane, his betrayal, being taken before Caiaphas and then ultimately Pontius Pilate, sentenced to die, crucified, and buried. I'm going to take you through that week and also maybe give you some insights that our traditions have missed or maybe misinterpreted just a little bit. It's an exciting thing to look at. And I hope that you'll spend some time with me tomorrow as I as I kind of lay it out and then we will celebrate going into the weekend and remember his, his crucifixion and his resurrection. Listen, if you believe in the ministry of Truth to Ponder, let me know. Visit the website. We'll give that address in a moment. If you want to support it, you can make a check made out to Ancient Word Radio and mail it to 21 Berkshire Lane, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263 in Sky Valley, Georgia, and the zip code here is 30537. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.